Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday school time. And uh, thank you for tuning in and being a part of this. I pray the Lord blesses you and pray that you are enjoying your life right now. And if not, then I pray that it gets better very, very soon. Thank you to all of you who teach and for all of the time and the effort that you put into helping our Sunday school and helping your class and helping members to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And for those of you who are watching because you have a reason you need to uh, be absent from Sunday school, but you're keeping up with all of it, then I'm proud of you for doing that. That's a really good thing. Thank you for being that committed to the spiritual growth of our church. We are looking still at the life of Daniel. I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed this study. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it, by the way, because uh, I think we can all kind of relate to it. And we also admire him so much. This is a, a man who did not have everything in the world going for him in terms of his walk with God. When you think about the fact that he was uh, exiled into Babylon by force when he was a teenager, it just makes you uh, kind of admire him, the scope of his faithfulness. And we don't expect teenagers to be faithful to God, but God does. And some of our heroes in the Bible, some of our greatest heroes, were actually teenagers. Don't you wish God would do that in the lives of uh, young people today. But not only that, we do find when you've lived as long as I have, there are some people that you run into that used to be faithful when they were in the youth group, used to be faithful when they were a young adult, used to be faithful when they were raising their children, but now not so much. And uh, that's a sad thing as well. And no wonder our nature, our nation and our culture are in such bad shape because I don't think we're near as salty as we ought to be as the salt of the earth. And I don't think that our light shines as brightly as it ought to shine as uh, lights in a dark world. And uh, therefore we don't hold forth the word of life like we should. And we don't have any credibility whenever we do try to share it. Uh, it's always a sad thing to me whenever I visit a home when there's been a death in the family, maybe to plan a funeral. Occasionally I do funerals for people that I don't know. I consider it an opportunity to share the gospel with people. And uh, it, you can tell when the person who is deceased was, you know, actually living for the Lord. Maybe, maybe they were saved, maybe they were not, but you can tell that they weren't really living for the Lord like they should by the way their family acts. And then you can also tell that person in the family who's not really living for the Lord, but they have been enough exposed to the church and the things of God, they kind of have answers. And when they give an answer, it might even be a right answer, but the rest of the family just kind of looks at them like, you know, where'd that come from? And why are you acting like this now? And occasionally I can tell that uh, people are doing that only because I'm there and they think that's what's expected. All of that to me is very sad because of what it does to our culture, what it does to our family, what it does to our legacy, all of those kind of things. And that's why Daniel is so impressive. Start to finish, pardon me, he was a faithful man 
of God. And it wasn't always under the best of circumstances, a pagan culture, a foreign culture, away from home, away from family, uh, away from everything familiar. And yet here he is all the way through being faithful to the Lord. Now, did that always result in a wonderful life for him? Wonderful life. It's, uh, we're coming into the holiday season, so you get the reference there. Did that always result in a wonderful life for him? And the answer, of course, would be no. How many times do we see him and his friends where they are facing death? Whether it be the king saying, if you can't tell me my dream, I'll kill all of you. And uh, maybe it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were willing to be thrown alive and burned alive in the fiery furnace or Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, and he didn't have a promise from God. Don't worry, Daniel, they, they won't be hungry, and they're going to leave you alone. He was ready to die for, what he, uh, for his Lord. And um, this reminds me that in life, there are these times that God delivers us, and uh, we don't always think about it. We may not even always recognize it, but his angels have charge over us according to the Psalms. I believe it's uh, Psalm 91 that talks about that. And uh, it, he also is the one who has promised us that when we are finished in this life, he's going to take us home to be with him forever. And uh, he delivers us. He, Paul said in one place that he has delivered me. That's in salvation. He does deliver me. That's why I'm still alive. And he will deliver me. The ultimate deliverance is going to heaven. And there's an important uh, verse that we need to think about. The Bible tells us that we are to uh, remember that vengeance is mine saith the Lord. It's not up to us to be walking around in a stew all the time, angry, trying to pay people back, trying to trip other people up, trying to show them and prove to them who's right and who's wrong. Uh, those things may happen as we live for the Lord, but that's not our call. It's not up to us to make sure that that happens. And you'll notice that Daniel, in all of these situations, He's not angry. He's not frustrated. He's not looking for paybacks or anything like that. But the Lord certainly does that. And that's why this lesson is entitled, The Tables Have Turned. Because Daniel now is free from the lion's den. He has been unharmed. But the people that have accused him and accused him falsely, I might say, are the ones who pay a high price. They pay the price that they thought Daniel was going to pay, but of course, it's all turned around. Daniel is spared by the Lord. And um, this idea of Daniel saying to the king, when the king comes to check on him, I'm innocent before God in this matter, and I'm also innocent before you, O king. Daniel has such a clear conscience, he can speak that out. Now, what the Persians wanted Daniel to do uh, is die, of course. And uh, yet God spares him in that. And the way that he does it is so that it fulfilled the law. If you pray to any other God, you're thrown into the lions. That was what the king signed into law. And that's exactly what happened. It did not say that Daniel had to die. 
It just said he had to be thrown to the lions. He's brought out. Now the murderers, we'll call them, are the ones who uh, have to face what Daniel faced in judgment. So let's begin reading in Daniel 6, 24. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. And this is gruesome here. Them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. I mean, that's just a a gruesome, gruesome thing. Well, first of all, I want you to notice the king's uh, contempt. And the king gives the command here, the scripture says, and no longer will these people that are involved in this command, the subject of this command, these accusers of Daniel, no longer will they flatter him, no longer will they manipulate him, and his understanding is now very clear about what this whole thing was about. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about strengthening the kingdom. It wasn't about loyalty to the king. It was all about getting Daniel. The king is now angry, and the king is now uh, fully aware that he has been had, and he almost lost someone that he cared about and someone that he admired and someone that I think it would be fair to say he knew he needed in order to rule and reign in his kingdom. After all, remember at the very front, Daniel was going to be promoted to be the governor over the governors, and they didn't like that. And uh, so they were uh, trying to get rid of him, move him out of the way so one of them could take that spot. So see, this whole thing, the king would see it as an attack upon him and his ability to rule. And these people were extremely selfish. And this is something that is never found in the life of Daniel. He always is serving. He is always giving. He is always benefiting uh, the kings under whom he served. So the irrevocable law was carried out against Daniel. And so again, the law did not say Daniel must die. Death was an assumption. Even the king, when he went out to check on Daniel, you remember that word was used there that he said in a lamenting voice, Daniel, was your God able to save you? In other words, the king did not expect to find Daniel alive, expected him to die. Now had they... uh, written in that unalterable law that whoever does this must die, then that would be a different issue. But you notice in there they didn't say that, just thrown to the lions. And so death is just an assumption for them. And now the king turns his contempt to the ones who had entrapped Daniel. And Daniel didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything differently than he had always done except that after the king signed the law, now all of a sudden it's wrong. And what was right yesterday is wrong today. And so Daniel has to be arrested and thrown to the lions. They didn't bank on the fact that God would indeed rescue Daniel. Now, secondly, notice the contrast between the men. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel. Now, let's stop there and talk about this for just a few moments. Daniel is, uh, his name means God is judge. Isn't that ironic? 
that he would have that name. And he was the one who was blameless. He was the one who was loyal to the king. He was the one who was serving the king. And while he was doing that, he was also true to his God. And the king had no reason to be upset about that because the king was not using, uh, pardon me, Daniel was not using his religion to be subversive. He was not using his faith in order to undermine the king or anything like that. He was just serving the king, and he was also serving his God. It's a great lesson for us. Yes, we have to go to work. Yes, we have to take care of our families. Yes, we have to pay taxes. Yes, we have to do all of these things that are going on. But we also need to have our priority in order in serving the Lord. It reminds me of what Jesus said when the, they tried to entrap him by saying, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, now why would that be anything that would be controversial or any kind of a problem. And it simply is because depending on how Jesus answered that, they were going to use it against him. If he said, no, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. We give our money to the temple and to God. Well, then they're going to run and say, this man is a traitor and uh, try to get the Romans after him. And if he says, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then they're going to go to the temple and they're going to tattle to the Sanhedrin and the other officials there. And they are going to say he is not loyal to God and loyal to the law of God. He's a Gentile loving Roman sympathizing, you know, person. And they're going to come after him either way. They would stone him or crucify him one of the two. And uh, that's entrapment. He cannot win in that situation. And yet Jesus is so brilliant, he answers it like this. Pull out a coin. Whose image is on it? Well, Caesar's. Then render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render unto God the things that belong to God. Now, what are they going to do with that except get mad and walk away in a huff? And uh, this is the way Daniel is living now. And this is why those other people just can't stand him. It is interesting, the one who should have been offended, the king wasn't. And all of those other people who shouldn't have been offended, well, they were. Kind of tells you about the screwball messed up world that we live in and why it's so hard to figure out some of the things because they're calling good evil and evil good and they're calling what is wrong right and what is right wrong. Remember all of that? Light for darkness and darkness for light. And uh, that's the way that they live. So you and I try to figure them out and we try to figure them out by thinking our way and by thinking biblically and uh, they don't go by those rules. They don't play like that. And so uh, they're hard, uh, hard to uh, kind of put your finger on what's going on because some of the stuff out there in the world is just, well, it's just weird. It's screwball. It's illogical. And so uh, we've got to be careful as we walk through this world. And we've got to be careful not to sell out to the world because we're afraid of them and what they could do. To quote Jesus again, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who has the power to cast body and soul into hell. We've got to keep our priorities right. So render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. And that's your love and your allegiance, your life, your loyalty, all of that. Well, that's what Daniel did. And so these people certainly accused him. 
And uh, this Daniel, who is so innocent before man and before the king and before his accusers and also before God. Go back to Daniel 6, 21. And it says, because I was found innocent before him, meaning God, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could say that? If every believer could say that in this hostile, dark, inconsistent world. I'm innocent before God and innocent before you. Just amazing that how this guy is so commendable. Now, what's the contrast in here? These accusers of Daniel were anything but innocent, right? And so uh, the accusers were, well, they were greedy. They were manipulative. They were flatterers, which is always condemned in scripture. They were murderers, at least attempted murder, a murder in their heart, desiring to kill Daniel. And uh, one did not deserve punishment and the others did. And of course, you know who that would be. Daniel did not deserve what he was getting. And that's why the king was so upset. That's why the king was so displeased with himself. He knew that he was sentencing Daniel to a death that he did not deserve. Thirdly, I want you to see the catastrophe of sin. Now, this bothers me when I read it, and I'm sure it bothers you too. This is not the way we think and the way that our culture would work. But somebody reading this back in the day of Daniel, they wouldn't even probably pause when they read this. It's just the way things were done in those days. Now notice there's nothing in here where it says this was good. It's nothing in here that says this is what should have happened or had to happen. It just reports the facts, the catastrophe of sin. And they cast them into the den of lions. Okay, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay with that. Okay, those guys deserved it after what they did to Daniel, reaping what they have sown, in other words. But then it says them, their children, now that bothers me, doesn't it, you? And their wives, that bothers me as well. Now, we don't live in the same kind of culture that the Persians lived in, and we don't think like they thought. And that's why sometimes when we read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, how often did something like this happen? And there were several times that I can think of where people were punished along with their guilty head of household or something like that, the father. And uh, the people in those days would not have even given that much thought. They didn't agonize over those kind of things they would be absolutely amazed that we would even consider it controversial to put criminals to death. They would go, what are you talking about? They deserve to die. And they would not be as uh, strict about the death penalty as we are. And by that, I mean, they would have the death penalty for a lot of things. We have it for very few things. And uh, even then it's difficult to get somebody into the death chamber, isn't it? And it's usually after 15 or 20 years and after a lot of appeals and it just doesn't happen all that often because we kind of agonize over that and people will say, they'll even throw this in your face if you are anti-abortion. How can you be pro-life 
for a baby in its mother's womb and then be for the death penalty. And they always look real smug because that's kind of a gotcha, gotcha question. And uh, how would I answer that? Uh, easy, because the baby's innocent and the criminal is not. The baby's innocent and the criminal is not. Now that gives me problems when I read what happened here because these men were not innocent. So, okay, I'm fine with that. And uh, it, it might be a little more strict than what we're used to in terms of a death penalty. But their children, man, that, that is tough. That is just uh, agonizing to think about in their wives. And yet, uh, again, this wouldn't be uncommon. This is something that kings tended to do. If you commit a crime, not only are you going to pay for it, but your family is going to pay for it. Now, all moral reasoning aside, let's just admit this one thing. If you were about to commit some kind of a crime, break some kind of a law, and you knew your children were going to pay for it along with you, would that maybe cause you to stop and have pause about it? If maybe you were going to pay the price and you were willing to kind of roll the dice and take your chances in order to do what you wanted to do, maybe it's a robbery, maybe it's uh, you know, murdering a, a government official or deposing the king because you need a new ruler or something, knowing that if you get caught, you're going to pay the ultimate price would it make you stop to think that your innocent wife would pay for it as well or your children? And that's what these kind of laws and these punishments were designed to do. And um, pagans in particular would uh, say this, you do anything like this, your whole family is going to pay. Now, I will remind you, we've said this for 20-some years, predates me, sin will take you further than you ever intended to go. It'll cost you more than you intended to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you intended to stay. And that's kind of an, a nice little saying where we think about, oh, I better not, you know, uh, do something that's wrong, get drunk, or look at pornography, or have an affair, or something like that. And yet, in this case, we see the literal application of that. With these men who rebelled against the king, what was their sin against Daniel going to do? It was going to cost them more than they ever intended to pay. Their family was going to suffer. Now, we also need to think about the fact that that is still true today. There are a lot of children who are suffering because of the sins of their parents. Their parents don't parent them well. Their parents are not taking care of them. Their parents are uh, on drugs or alcohol and they may be gone for long stretches of time. And even though the parents are the ones who are going to pay the price for that sin because God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, he also shall reap. But we also have to understand too, one of the things that gets God so angry about parents doing that to their children is because it always affects the children. And the children of abusers are always affected by that. The children of alcoholics are always affected by that. The children of a father who is immoral or a mother who is immoral and breaks their marriage vows and destroys the home and the trust and the love that is in that home, the children 
always end up paying for it. And so we find it here in a particularly gruesome thing, but is it any less true about your sin or anyone else's sin? Other people pay for our sin against God. This is why Daniel, again, is so amazing. He walked uprightly, and you never find him in this situation to where he had people hating him because of his sin or ruined because of his sin. And so false charges against the innocent were frowned upon in this culture and in the Persian culture. And those who did so were punished by receiving the punishment they sought for their victim. So if you were falsely accusing Daniel and you had him thrown into the lion's den, now what happens to you? You take his punishment. So it was also common to make an example by executing the family of the criminals. Again, not something we would be comfortable with, but it's just the way they did it back then. I imagine it was very effective. Number four, when we talk about the tables being turned, think about this, the confirmation of the miracle, the confirmation. Now, these other men thought all during this, we've got him. We've got him and we've got the king on our side. It's signed in as a law of the Medes and the Persians. Got him. There's no way he can get out of this. We'll throw him to the lions and he's going to die. Got him. Well, what happened now? There's a miracle that takes place that delivers Daniel. And the miracle is uh, done and over with when these men are thrown to the lions. And it says, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. You know, um, this is saying too, when they threw them in, probably before they could even get the stone over it, it's over. This is saying that nobody could run from this. You heard the awful sound of these people being torn apart and chewed apart. Uh, by the lions. Can you even begin to imagine how gruesome this was? They didn't even have a chance to get away and leave it to the lions. This happened and it happened very fast and very quick. Where's the miracle in all of this? Well, Daniel is spared from all of this by the intervention of God. In verse 21, Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God, send his angel and shut the lion's mouth. So he gives all the credit to God. Not the credit to the way that he lived, not the credit to what he deserved or didn't deserve, but just credit to God. God could have let him die and God didn't let him die. And God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouths. But David's enemies are not spared. And this narrative shows that the critics of the Bible, these people that sit and read the Bible and write about things to make it look uh, untrue, and Daniel's a target of a lot of criticism because of the prophecy that is involved in it. It can't possibly be true. No one can possibly uh, see these miracles or predict the future, can they? And so they come up with all kinds of things about it. And in this situation, you know what the critics say? Well, the lions, they were toothless lions. They were there only for show. And they had pulled all the teeth out of the lions. And uh, 
that way they could go into the lion's den, walk among the lions, put on a show with the toothless lions, and uh, people could be entertained by it like a circus or something. But they really weren't. Uh, that's why they didn't hurt Daniel. They were toothless. Others have said, well, they were obviously tame lions. And they were the kind of lions that, you know, they didn't want to attack people. They were used to people. They were used to humans. Humans fed them. Humans took care of them. And humans, you know, amused them. And so they were fine with humans. Okay? Other people have... Uh, said about these lions that they just, well, they weren't hungry. You know, Daniel was thrown down in there after they had already had their fill of maybe some other hapless prisoner, or maybe, you know, they threw a couple of cows down in there and the lions feasted on them. So when Daniel was thrown down in there, they were either toothless, tame, or they just weren't hungry. Okay, now keep in mind, this is right after they brought Daniel out and this is the same lion's den, and these are the same lions. And what did these tame, toothless, uh, full lions do when these people are put in there? That says that they're killed and they're eaten before they even hit the bottom. So we have a thing here. Either the critics are wrong about Daniel, or if they are perchance right about Daniel, these toothless, tame full lions are in here, then there's another miracle. God was able to get those tame, toothless, full lions to clobber these other people. And so um, maybe that's a miracle. I don't think so, but it's kind of like the guy that was sitting in a liberal seminary class and the professor was up there saying that when the Israelis crossed the Red Sea. It was actually the Reed Sea. It was just a little bit different there, and people saw the misspelling, and they've, you know, uh, made it the Red Sea instead of the Reed Sea. The Reed Sea only had about four inches of water in it, and they walked across that. And there was a guy from the country who just was a Bible-believing there, and when the uh, Bible-believing person, and when the professor said that, he starts going, Amen, glory to God, hallelujah. And the professor said, well, what are you saying that for? And he said, because it's an even bigger miracle. And the professor says, how could it be a bigger miracle? He said, because God drowned all them Egyptians in four inches of water. And so that's all we're doing when we're saying, if the lions are like the liberals say, and they were tame and toothless and not really hungry, then, man, a greater miracle, God used them to destroy the other ones. But the truth is, they were not tame or toothless or full. They were hungry, ravenous lions, ravenous beasts. And what happened? They destroyed the, uh, Daniel's accusers, but they left Daniel alone. And that's where the miracle is because God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. And I think that angel could very well be a um, Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After all, same God. And so this is where we find the, the contrast. Daniel's deliverance is a miracle, and when they're thrown in there, you see everything happening as it should have by nature. And you see the difference between an innocent Daniel who is delivered and a, uh, the false accusers who are guilty and are not delivered. And that reminds us, folks, that we are going to experience a day 
when we, because of Christ and because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because we have his righteousness on our record book, we're going to be delivered from this sinful world once and for all. But the world has another thing coming and they don't even see it coming. They're not even really aware of it. And they think that they are self-righteous enough to escape it if they even believe it. And the truth of the matter is that they're not. We ought to pray for them. We ought to love them. We ought to minister to them. We ought to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. But don't ever fall short of verbally sharing the gospel with them. That's what the Great Commission is all about for all of us, all of us, to share the gospel without exception as we have opportunity because we are in the world like Daniel. He was in the Persian Empire, but we're not of the world. And Daniel was not of the Persian Empire. He was there as a Jew, a man of God who had faith in God. And that's the contrast. Okay. And these stories remind us that in spite of our environment, whether it's good or bad, Christian or non-Christian, our enemies, how ruthless they are and to what lengths they will go to entrap us, or even the government, that God is always working his plan, just like he was with Daniel, that God is supreme over the king, over the enemy, over the devil, over everything. We need to not only say amen to that, but live like it and think like it. And that God is worthy. Daniel was willing to die for him. Are you willing to die for your Lord? He's worthy of your life, even the ultimate sacrifice of your life. We also find that God is just. Everything he does is right. And one of these days he will settle all the rights and all of the wrongs that have gone on here on earth since creation. And we also have to remember that whatever happens, God is always a triumphant God. Paul said that he makes us to walk in the train of his triumph. We are chained to his victorious chariot as trophies of grace, and we triumph in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always, as we've said before, a win-win situation for the Lord, for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that encourages you as you fight battles, encourages you as you uh, are standing up for the Lord and you may have a price to pay. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnaces of life and from the dens of lions in the life. And one day the deliverance will be permanent and it will be uh, ultimate. And so we say hallelujah to that because of the grace and the glory of God. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it so much. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.